A childish nursery rhyme keeps a young mother up at night. A magical hand that was very popular among thieves. And a brutal murderer haunts the streets of Sweden today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I am having a great day. I actually got this awesome feedback from a YouTube user. Gray of PTA is the YouTube user's name. I saw this today. Dead Rabbit Radio is the Art Bell show of 2018 for me now. Absolutely loving what you do. Thank you, Gray. Thank you very much. You know, Art Bell, I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day about Art Bell. I only wish I could be as awesome as that show, but I appreciate your comment. And that was in reference to the Conjuring 2 episode. I really like that one. I really like... I always try my last episode. I always try to walk away and go, that was my best episode. So I really like that one. Thank you for your feedback. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from you guys. I just wanted to highlight that one because Art Bell, Coast to Coast AM, they're definitely formative influences in this show. George Norrie as well. But we got a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right into the first story. Now, two of these stories were sent to me from Lana. I've talked about Lana before. She's my friend. She's actually, I think I'm going to have to eventually name her like my top researcher because she sends me a bunch of stuff throughout the day. And the first one she sent me, I was like, eh, nah. And I kind of looked in and I go, I don't know, it sounds fake. And I looked into it and it does appear to be real. It appears to be very, very eerie with a rational explanation. And then a twist. So in England, I'm not going to do any accents today. In, in, In England, I might do some accents, but in England, there was a British mom and she had her kids and she would put her kids to bed and she'd be sleeping in her bedroom and she would hear this. Now you go, Jason, that's just a nursery rhyme. You pulled off the internet some creepy nursery rhyme. But we'll get to that in a second. So it freaked her out, obviously, because she doesn't know where it's coming from. And then a couple of nights later, she hears it again. Now, sometimes it would play over and over and over for hours on end. And sometimes it would happen just once, once a night. It didn't happen all the time. But for months, this went on. So maybe for a week, she wouldn't hear it. And then late at night, in bed, she'd hear hear the song again. So she looked all over the house. She couldn't figure out what it was. She was getting terrified. It sounds like a, it sounds like a creepy voice. She ended up contacting the Ipswich Borough Council. So she lives in the town of Ipswich, which I thought was made up. I thought it was a town from H.P. Lovecraft, but and it might it might he might also have a town called Ipswich, but. Anyway, so she contacts the city council, and they go, well, if it happens again, call us up, we'll go out there. Now, obviously, they probably think she's a lunatic. But it does happen again, she does call them up, they go out there, and they hear it, plain as day. And at this point, they go, okay, this is obviously, there has to be rational explanation for this. So they begin looking around the area, and they found that, okay, so this is where it gets funny. So there is a shopping center nearby that was broadcasting the signal. And they go, oh, sorry, we had it up, turned up too loud. We'll shut it off. And no harm, no foul, right? The question is, is why was the shopping center broadcasting this signal late at night? 
It's their burglar alarm. It's to stop what they call opportunistic burglars. So someone who's dead set on breaking into this place, into like this industrial park, they're going to break in no matter what. But if you're just out with your mates one night and you're like, oh, let's smash some glass. And you walk onto the property and you hear that nursery rhyme, you're going to leave. That is absolutely terrifying. What it was was that they had it turned up louder than they thought it was. It was only supposed to be heard on the property. And spiders, oddly enough. Lana was like, did you hear about the spiders setting off the security alarm? And I'm like, Lana, you're off your rocker. That's impossible. What was happening was spiders were crawling across, which is creepy in and of itself. Spiders were crawling across the security camera lens. It was picking up their heat signature and it was activating the song. I have a couple questions. How many spiders are there on Ipswich? Why are there so many giant spiders around this security camera setup? And how many just random people were walking through that park over the years late at night going, hey, let's take a shortcut through the industrial park. And they hear the, it's raining, it's pouring. I mean, like, what? Terrifying. How many nightmares did this place fuel? At this point, I would be more likely to break into that place just to hear the loudspeaker sound. But I got to give this story credit. One, it's intriguing. And two, that is a novel way to deter most people from trespassing on your property. Now, just to say this in fair, in fair play, the woman's name is never mentioned in the article. And the locations are fairly vague. It could be fake. There's a photo of a spider crawling on a security camera, which almost looks too good. So it could be a fake story. But... As a story in and of itself, as a news article in and of itself, it is pretty creepy. So let's hear that song one more time. I can't imagine hearing that multiple times a night for months on end. Terrifying. And hats off to the burglar people. Not the burglars themselves, but the burglar preventionists. It's a good idea. Next thing to know, they'll have like tiptoe through the tulips, ring around the rosy. They can do all sorts of stuff. Start playing the ring video, like have monitors throughout your complex. And once you set off an alarm, the ring video starts. That would, I would leave. I would leave the planet if I was walking through a complex and a bunch of ring videos started up on multiple monitors. go ahead and move on to our next story yeah we're going like that because i got three of them today you know what? let's do the let's do the the murderer one next so in sweden let's go back in time we're already in britain right now we're saying goodbye to the mom she can sleep well now i wonder if she was hot i think she was single we're saying goodbye to the mom bye mom saying goodbye to her kids and then we're going to take a plane and go through a time portal because now we're going to sweden in the year 1932 now we're landing in Sweden in 1932. So what was it? What would that be like? A little about 90 years ago, roughly. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so there was a young prostitute there. There was a lot of prostitutes there, but the one in particular we're going to talk about was plying her trade. Her name was Lily Lindstrom, 32-year-old prostitute. She worked out of her apartment. Her neighbors knew her. Seemed to be a relatively nice person. Her neighbors didn't have much of a problem with her. One of her neighbors said she always came to my apartment and asked for condoms. 
She might have been a prostitute, too. I don't know. But anyway, so everything was going fine for Lily. And then one day, she doesn't knock on her neighbor's door. And and the neighbor's not like, man, she must have gotten enough condoms. She actually talked to the neighbor quite frequently. Like, every morning, they would have tea together or coffee or whatever they do in Sweden. She doesn't come to the neighbor's door. After a couple days... Oh, yeah, look, I'm looking at my notes here. Her neighbor, Minnie Johnson, actually was a prostitute. That's why she had so many condoms. Anyway, so, so after a couple days... She alerts the landlord or the authorities, or probably both. And the cops come into the room. And unfortunately, Lily's dead. And the cops are like, okay, you know, interesting crime scene. The wo- Lily was laying face down in the bed. She was naked, completely naked, and her clothes were folded up and placed on a chair. They knew that she had recently had sex because they found a used condom. And it was hanging out of her body still. She had suffered uh, repeated blows from a blunt object to the back of the head. And that's what killed her. What they thought was weird, the police, is there was really no blood at the scene. And to the police on, on the ground in the room, they thought that the blood had actually been drained from her body. There was that much of an absence of blood. So police were like, okay, so... She was killed, possibly during the sex act. Some people think it was like a doggy style thing, and the perpetrator hit her on the back of the head then. So she was hit multiple times on the back of the head with a blunt object. It wasn't They don't think it was a fist, because there was damage to the back of the head. Like, more damage than just getting punched multiple times. But there wasn't much blood. In fact, there was so little blood that the cops theorized that one... Her body was drained of the blood, but they're like, yeah, that's that's very unlikely. Or that the killer cleaned the blood up from the scene before they left. And that's not unheard of. Obviously, criminals will, will try to, like, clean up stuff. But the place seemed uniquely clean for a crime scene. What was weird was where the bashes were in her head and her neck. They found saliva. And they're like, what? So... There's not a lot of blood in the body. They find... There's not a lot of blood. They find saliva on the neck, by the wounds, on the wounds. And then they find the ladle. The ladle was stained with blood. So at this point, the cops are like, this might be a vampire. Now, of course, they don't think that's an actual, like, magical, metaphysical, supernatural vampire flying around. But this is a killer who killed a woman when she was not suspecting it, bashed her open licked her wounds, and then drank more of her blood, and possibly drank so much of her blood that her body was mostly drained of it. Because what, what is, how much blood's in you? Like, eight pints? Ten pints? I mean, it would take a lot, but if you brought a bucket, you could take some home with you. So they have saliva on the wounds, they have a blood-stained gravy ladle. Cops are like, okay, whatever sicko did this, killed this woman, most likely drank her blood. Sweden police, they obviously, they get to work on it. You know, there's a big misconception that police don't investigate the deaths of prostitutes. And that's not true. I read a lot of true crime books, and a lot of times you'll hear people go, Oh, just prostitutes died and the cops don't care about prostitutes. It's the opposite. Cops tend to know prostitutes more than they know other people. Because they, they talk to them all the time. Cops are constantly arresting prostitutes and then checking up on them. And hey, how's everything going? Police know prostitutes better than they know most people. 
And when a prostitute goes missing or gets murdered, it actually really affects the police officer because it's somebody in their working area. They know their name. They know their life story. They've had them in the back of the car multiple times. And the girl's like, I'm just trying to get back to my feet. I'm trying to get custody of my kids, whatever it is. The reason why police have a hard time solving the murders of prostitutes is they're very, very mobile. A lot of times they'll work entire coastlines. So you, they may know them for the two years that they're in Detroit or the two years they're in Portland. But eventually they'll say, you know what, it, business isn't that good here. I'm going to go down to San Francisco or I'm going to go up to New York or whatever. Because they will just up and leave. A lot of times the police are like, when a prostitute goes missing, they're like, hey, have you guys seen Lily? And people are like, oh, I don't know. Like she talked about going to New York and the cops like, oh, OK, I hope I wish her the best of luck. She's really in the back of someone's truck, you know, rotting. And so you could rack up a lot of prostitute kills, but the, the idea that police just don't care about investigating prostitute murders is, is not true. Anyway, so the Swedish police are like, okay, let's catch this guy. Let's find out who drank this woman's blood. Allegedly. They, eventually, they're going to find him, and they're going to be able to sit him down and say what happened. But at the time, they're saying, you know, Someone's killed this woman, drank her blood, killed her during intercourse. This is horrible. So that happened in 1932, May 4th of 1932. In August of 1933, nothing. Didn't find the guy. 1942, nothing. 1986, nothing. They've never found this killer. Ever. A guy murders a woman, most likely drank a portion of her blood, leaves, Never caught. Never another murder in that area that matched this description. He's known as the Atlas Vampire because it took place in the neighborhood, like the Atlas neighborhood. This person may have died eight years later during the war. This person may have gone on to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and kept the secret until he passed away himself. May have been an upstanding member of society. May have been a drug user. Who, who knows? May have been a mystical vampire, but that's unlikely. May have just been a man who loves to drink human blood and kill a woman. Not a serial killer. No other murders have ever been linked to this, but terrifying. Creepy story. If they had caught him, it would have just been another weirdo who did another weird thing. But the fact that he was still out there... I guess if he was young enough, he could still be out there, but that's unlikely. But he was probably, it's very likely he was alive during my lifetime. He was an old man while I was a kid, collecting daffodils and looking at windmills. I think that's Holland, actually, but maybe he moved there. Spooky stuff, man. That's definitely a Halloween story for you. Lana has this thing about serial killers operating during wartime, and I do think that's an interesting topic as well. Because of this Atlas vampire guy, you know, this happens in 1932. In 10 years, we're in the middle of war, the start of World War II. Who's to say he doesn't go somewhere else into a war zone and engage in his blood-drinking fetish? Young maidens from Deutschland. The last story I want to talk about fascinates me. Again, it is a recommendation from Lana in a roundabout way. She sent me the story about Bella in the Witch Tree. A young woman was murdered and stuffed in a tree, and her hands were cut off, and her body was found quite a time later. They just found her skeleton, and then after her body was found and put in the ground, graffiti started appearing around town going, 
who put Bella in the elm tree or who put Bella in the witch tree or something like that. I'd heard that story before. I didn't find it necessarily that compelling. I don't know. But anyways, when I was reading, <laughs> that was a good intro to this. This part is compelling. So when I was reading about Bella, the and they never figured out if that was her real name. It is kind of a weird story, but it's not worth like a whole segment. One of the theories was that her hands were cut off to create what's known as a hand of glory. And I was like, oh, what's that? I click on that link down the rabbit hole. Hand of glory is actually a very popular magic totem. They were in vogue from the 16th to the 18th century. You had a 200-year time span then in Europe, specifically in England, where if you had a hand of glory, basically it was the old-timey equivalent of the Infinity Gauntlet. So, what it... Here, let me tell you how... No, 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 I'll tell you what it does first. And then you can decide whether or not it's worth the trouble to actually make one. If you have the Hand of Glory, it and you have it, it's like a candle type thing. Ah, never mind, I'll explain to you what it is, and then that'll make more sense. Okay, so what the Hand of Glory is, is when a prisoner, when a criminal, has been hung, or stuck in a gibbet, and they die, you cut off their left hand. If they're a murderer, you cut off the hand that did the murder. But generally, you just take the left hand. And there is a preparation where you have to dry it and you have to rub all these like 11 herbs and spices on it and do all sorts of stuff. Here's the actual recipe. It must be cut from the body of a criminal on the gibbet, but it also, the gallows works too. You have to pickle it in salt and the urine of a man, a woman, a dog, a horse, and a mare. So, isn't I thought, I think a mare is a female horse. So, you got to get this hand. That seems to be the easy part. You, then you have to get salt, and you have to pee in a bucket, and then the opposite sex has to pee in the bucket. Then you got to get dog piss, horse pee, and mare pee. So now you got a pretty big bucket. You're walking around with this. You have to smoke with herbs. You thought I was joking about 11 herbs and spices. You have to smoke with herbs and hay for a month. You hang it on an oak tree for three nights in a row. Then you lay it at a crossroads. Then you hang it on the church door for one night while the maker keeps watch in the porch. So you gotta like, I guess you gotta sit on the steps of the church while there's this hand just hanging there. And then it says, and if it be, old English is so annoying, quote, and if it be that no fear hath driven you forth from the porch, then the hand be true one and it be yours. So they're gonna sit there with this hand that you've been like smoking and it's covered in piss of like five different, four different species. Men and women are the same species. And uh, all the herbs and stuff. And then you got to sit there at the church and the hand's going to hang there. And if you don't get too scared, you get the hand. You get this hand of glory. At this point, it looks disgusting. Now you got to make the candle. You thought you were done. No, now you just have the hand. There's two ways to have the candle. You can cover the fingers in wax and have each finger be its own candle. So you'll have five candles in total, for those of you who don't know how many fingers humans have. Or you can make a candle, and it sit like you you close the hand up like it's a fist with its index finger pointing out, and you put the candle in there. And you go, okay, well, you know, that's pretty good. No, hold on. The candle has to be made out of the fat of the convict. So that's an ingredient you should want way in the beginning. It should say, the recipe should say, Cut off his hand and scoop out some fat from him. Because if you've been smoking this thing for a month, chances are the body's not there anymore. 
So while you're cutting the hand off, you then gotta like reach in and pull out a bunch of dead man's fat. You make the wick out of the hair of the dead man. Damn it, now you gotta go back to the body. This just tell me all of the ingredients I need from the corpse first. So you get the fat, you get the hand, you get some hair, and you make the wick. So you can pour the fat, fat, the dead man's wax on the fingertips and make little wicks out of hair that way, or you can just have him hold a candle. And you're like, Jason, that is like the most absurd recipe, and it's very, very convoluted. What benefit would I have from having a hand of glory? Well, here's one. It can provide light that only you can see. Everyone else is in the dark. That is stupid. That's the, Okay, that's the first benefit. And I was like, I would not do half of that stuff, especially dig out the fat of a dead man just so I could be the only one in a lit room. And, fun fact, while I was researching this, I found out in Harry Potter, Dracus Malfoy, who I think is a bad guy, I'm not for sure, he uses a hand of glory to walk around, and out of all the powers I'm about to list, he only uses that one. So no one else can see the light except for him. I hate those books. The next uh, thing that this thing does, now we start to get a little more effective. It may or may not allow you to go invisible. That sounds really chancy. You're going to walk into an armory full of British guards, and you may or may not be invisible. You don't know. You won't know until they start spearing you, and you end up in a gibbet. The more, the more well-known and useful tactics for the Hand of Glory, and the reason why thieves prized these, because these were real. They have one in a museum over in Britain. They're very real, and there's been tons of text written about these things. It allows you to get into any locked place. Any door that's locked, you can use the Hand of Glory, and it magically makes the lock come undone. It'll put anyone around you to sleep, or it'll freeze them in place. Now, I have a, I, I think I know where that part of the magic came from. So let's say you're standing at Burger King, and a guy walks into Burger King holding a severed hand with a candle that's made, it has the same yellow-white color that human fat has. And the wick is burning hair, and he's walking around. Are you going to move? Or are you going to be so petrified of what happens next? You're just going to be like, continue eating your Whopper. You're in shock. There's a man with a severed hand that smells like piss walking by you. Now... Why it would make people fall asleep? The same thing. I would not wake up. If I was asleep and that guy walked in, I would just pretend to be asleep and let him steal my valuables. If you decided to do the candles with the fingertips, you could light each fingertip and it would tell you if a fingertip didn't light, that means there's someone still awake in your house. And you're like, Jason, a lot of this stuff has to do with sleeping. Because thievery was such a serious crime back then. And it was a very lucrative crime. You break into someone's house, you take all that stuff, you don't have to work for it. Uh, thievery was generally, uh, it was a death sentence back then, because it was such a heinous crime. Nowadays, it's like, oh, someone broke into my car, the cops don't even investigate it. But back then, you would want what was in my car so badly, you would cut off someone's hand and soak it in piss for a month. So these hands of glories were prized possessions among thieves. However, all magic has counter magic. There's two ways you can stop this. So, some guy walks into Burger King and he's holding this dead man's hand. He's holding this hand of glory and it's lit and you can smell the human fat and the piss just burning. The smell of burning hair is bad enough, but add all those other smells to it. 
But you, you didn't order your Coca-Cola like you normally do at Burger King. Today, you have a cup of blue milk. Now, blue milk is also known as uncurdled milk, which basically means milk you can drink. Izzy's walking by you with the candle, and he's like, oh, yes, I'm going to steal the Whopper recipe. You can throw your milk on the candle, and it puts it out, and then everyone in the room will wake up. Everyone who was motionless before can start moving again, and they'll beat up the thief, and then he'll be executed. The other way is that, so you're like, okay, so I can keep milk everywhere, but it has to be uncurdled. So you have to keep refreshing your milk supply. Milk was very valuable. How can I protect my house? Is there a Brinks security system for 16th century England? And there was. You could create a counter effect for the Hand of Glory in your house. This is what you need to do. You need to rub the threshold, so, you know, like over the doorway of your house and other entry points with a unguent, unguent, I'm assuming that's some sort of goo. Anyways, it's disgusting enough. It takes the fat, all, all this fat, you have to get a white hen, take the fat out of it. You have to take the blood of a screech owl, which sounds incredibly pleasant. So you have your fat from a hen. You have your blood from a screech owl. Just need one more ingredient, simple ingredient. You need a tumor from a black cat. So you got to get a black cat who has a tumor and cut it off. Mix this all together in the middle of summer and then rub it all over your house. So instead of a guy breaking into your house that smells of horse piss, now your house always smells like a cat tumor. This stuff, people did all of this. It's amazing to think that only, what would that be, 400, 400 years ago? No, about, so it's, because it lasted from the 16th century to the 18th century. So we're talking three to 500 years ago in a civilized industrial country, more industrial towards the end. You had people chopping the hands off of convicts walking around through the dark and other people cutting the tumors off of cats and rubbing them all over their house. And then they would sit back and, and, and light a pipe and go, Ah, we're safe tonight, madame. I've rubbed the cat tumor over the door. We can do whatever we want. Bizarre. And there's this battle, this magical battle, that people both sides completely believed in. Whether or not it was effective is almost irrelevant because both sides believed in it so heavily they did the grossest stuff possible to prevent the other side from winning. The idea that you could cut off a thief's hand and use that to help you be a better thief, magically, it makes sense. Logically, it's completely stupid. And really, your the ending point should be you're cutting it off of a thief or a criminal who got caught. And that's your lucky charm? A dude who failed doing what you want to do is your genie. But again, when we look at superstitions and magic and things like this, logic rarely plays out. Fascinating story, though. The fact that hundreds, possibly thousands of people did these things to protect themselves or to commit crimes within a reasonable amount of time from us is just very, very fascinating. We're a very superstitious species. We continue to be superstitious. And it may not be healthy, but it makes for a really good story. 
DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.